Hey, welcome to another episode of the Stop to Think podcast. Uh, this is Chandler. Today we're continuing our discussion from the last couple of episodes, or what are the discussion that the last couple of episodes have been leading up to, which is a talk about the American education system. Now, I kind of pretext this conversation with a narrative that kind of describes why it's important that we take education seriously. With the narrative basically being that if we don't, other countries will gain the edge and the five frontiers that are kind of facing society. And if they gain the edge, then we will be at their mercy. And that may or may not end well for us. So with that said, I suppose we need to start with defining what the American education system is. And currently... How it works, for the most part, is education in the United States is kind of roughly broken up into, we'll call it three branches. You cut, well, not branches, three stages. You kind of have your primary education, which is where you basically attend, um, like, kindergarten through eighth grade would be kind of the first um, first stretch. And that's um, usually for kids who are between the ages of like 5 and 14, roughly. And uh, the first couple of grades, uh, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and sometimes fifth grade, usually start out with kind of the format where you have a group of students who are assigned to a single teacher and that single teacher then kind of teaches all the curriculum that the students need to learn. So they kind of have one educational provider and then that educational provider covers math, science, reading, language arts, projects and whatever other shenanigans are part of the curriculum. Moving past that, when you get to like the fifth, sixth grade range, so the ages of like 13, 14, somewhere in there. Well, actually, that might be too far ahead. I think fifth grade would be roughly like 10-ish. Sixth grade would be 11, 7, 12, 8, 13-ish. So like the 10 to 14 age range you kind of get to what can be called middle school but i think it's kind of still part of that first first section of education and during middle school you kind of transition away from having just one teacher to having multiple teachers who specialize in a single subject and then Students throughout the day attend classes with each specialized teacher to fill out their schedule. And there's usually eight classes per day tops or eight hours a day. And each hour, each class usually lasts about an hour. And that's kind of how the whole entire situation is broken down. So... 
your kindergarten to eighth grade is kind of your first phase of school. And your second phase of school is high school, which is going to be ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th years of education. And um, during these years, you usually see the same structure as with the latter part of the first phase, where you have students once again going from class to class with each class being taught by a teacher who's specializing in that class. And um, by the time a student gets to high school, they usually have some degree of personal choice in what classes they take. It's not always a great degree of choice, but it's better than like elementary school, which is uh, the beginning of that first phase where um, during elementary you're still just a child, essentially, and you have no free will. The teacher more or less decides what you're going to be taught. Whereas by the time you get to high school, you kind of have a bit of free will because in addition to like the required curriculum, you also have the option to take some electives too, I think, usually. And so then after that, um, you graduate high school and then your mandatory government-funded education is complete at which point you have the option to go to college, which is usually at your own expense unless you can garner scholarship money or merit-based support or financial aid-based or financial need-based support. And in college, the structure is much more freeform where um, basically you as a student are now more or less in control of your education and you pick the classes you want to take based on the requirements for the degree you want to get from that college. And then through taking those classes, you um, basically work your way through a specific program. And then eventually once you complete all the program requirements, you're allowed to graduate with a degree in whatever program you completed. So that's kind of how the current system works. Now in college, you have a lot more freedom because you essentially pay on a class by class basis. Sometimes if you're enrolled in the college, the college will give you like a deal where you pay tuition for the first so many credits, but then credits after that, you don't have to pay additional tuition for. So like for instance, if you decide to take just one class at a college and not be enrolled in anything else, you might pay like $300 a credit and the average class is usually three credits. So you pay about $1,000 roughly. Whereas if you decide to enroll in, we'll say six classes, which would be usually about 18 credits, instead of making you pay for that full entire amount based on your credit load, so you'd have 18 times 300 which would be essentially five grand for your credits. They instead just charge you like a lump sum tuition amount and give you credits past a certain number free or whatever. That's like one potential way of doing it, but obviously colleges can kind of do it however they want because they're more or less free for the most part. And then uh, college curriculum for given degree programs are usually determined by accreditation boards 
where they kind of evaluate colleges and set the standards required for the degrees in that program. And usually these accreditation boards have like, in theory, experts of the field who kind of know what needs to and what cannot or what needs to be and what doesn't need to be learned by students who are enrolled in this particular field of study. So that's kind of like the generic American education system. So I initially said that there were three phases and I classified them as like your first phase, which would be like age five to age 13 education. Your second phase, phase, which would be age 14 through age 18 education. And your third phase, which would be your college, which would be 18 to usually 22-ish. And then obviously for special fields like medicine or law, or if you're getting an advanced degree, you can go to an additional two years after your four years of college education to get a master's and an additional two years after your two years for your master's to get a PhD. So that's kind of the rundown on the generic education system. And now aside from the generic, there are also other options that are available, but not widespread. For instance, it's possible for people to choose to homeschool their kids, in which case a parent stays home and teaches the child uh, the, the curriculum required. And then after the homeschooling is done, the child has to probably pass some sort of test or something like that, or prove that they learned the required material that their state mandates for graduation. And then there's also like private schools, which, um, potentially do things differently than the public school system that I described to you. And then besides the generic routes, there's also like specialized education paths where um, students go to school for a specific like vocation. So I think there are like tech high schools out there from what I understand where students like specialize in like STEM fields and get to avoid certain classes potentially that they would have to take in normal high schools. And the same goes for like after graduation too. There's like apprenticeship opportunities where you basically work for the industry you're going to work in to learn. And there's also like tech schools where a college type institution teaches you the stuff you need to learn for your industry that you're going to work in. But overall, that's kind of the lay of the land. So look at the incentives first uh, for high school, for that high school, for the first and second stages. So elementary, junior high, and high school, you have um, state funding. So the state in which you live, uh, well, it's kind of complicated, I guess, as always when the government's involved. There's federal school funding, there's state school funding, and then there's local school funding. So local school funding, from what I understand, comes from like, so there's school districts, which basically encompass a certain amount of land. And whoever owns property within that land have taxes levied on them. And those taxes go directly to the school districts. So there's that. There's state funding where states provide through revenue that they gain 
for state taxes, whether that be sales tax, uh, income taxes, whatever, the, the state then uses some of this revenue to channel it back to schools within its state. Um, and then there's federal funding where the federal government taxes the whole entire nation and then appropriates funding to public schools based on that. So essentially schools, any given school, any given, any given uh, public school draws its funding from its local citizens, its state, and then potentially the country. In addition to that, schools can also like have fundraisers and reach out to alumni and have like endowments and generosity funds and whatnot given by people who want to improve the quality of education of the children in the area. For colleges, it's a little bit different. So I guess uh, for high schools, we should probably, should probably talk about private schools as well. So. What we just described was more so public school oriented with private schools. Um, your uh, children, the kiddos, the, the schools themselves charge tuition to the students who attend them. And then they also have like alumni and usually like endowments. But basically the school, the students or their parents pay for this, the education. So the students are charged tuition which pays for the education kind of in the same way that uh, college works. It's not that different. So at the college level, like I just said, um, most of their money comes from, well, it kind of depends if you're a private university, then your incentives are basically uh, alumni donations, endowments and that kind of stuff. Where an endowment, from what I understand, is basically just like a sum of money that's given to like an institution for them to use for whatever they want. You have those, you have um, donations from alumni, and then you also have um, tuition paid from your students. Private schools don't usually see receive federal funding or any kind of government support, and as a result, they usually charge higher tuition to their students. Public schools, on the other hand, do receive government support, which usually results in somewhat lower tuitions for the students. And they're basically like, they benefit from tax dollars, essentially. So, that's the current education system, kind of. That's a poor summary of the current education system. How is it different in other countries? I don't actually know because I'm not traveled enough to really understand how other countries run their education systems. I could maybe make a attempt at explaining the Japanese education system because I've seen enough of that culture to kind of have a rough understanding, but I think we're going to sidestep that because I don't want to have to pause this episode to research it and come back and talk about it. But um, 
one thing that's for sure is that other countries seem to place higher value on their teachers. Teachers are held in a position of esteem, whereas in U.S. society, they're kind of treated poorly in a lot of cases. Um, besides that, um, education is taken more seriously in other countries. Like I've always kind of gotten the sense from my Asian friends that um, if they do bad in school, like it's a pretty big no-no for their family. Like the family highly values education, whereas other families don't necessarily value education quite as much, I'd say. Or at least they don't seem to. It's not such a big deal if a kid's having bad grades. Whereas, like, if you're of Asian descent, it kind of seems like your parents darn near disown you if you aren't doing good enough in school. But uh, that aside, there are numerous shortcomings in the current education system. What are these shortcomings? Well, for starters, it could be argued that the system is kind of inherently flawed with just how it's set up in the first place. So essentially you have a bunch of students and you shuffle them together and then you have a teacher teach them content. Problem is, is that uh, class is composed of a bunch of unique individuals and these unique individuals are all different and all have different abilities. So in any given class, you have a normal distribution of competence and essentially as a teacher, you have to try and teach so that you cause the most benefit for the most students, or at least that should be your goal which kind of means that you have a problem. And the problem is, is that your teaching is targeting the center of your normal distribution of students. So you end up with students who are above average, who are being held back. And you end up with students who are below average, who are being probably drugged forward too fast. So what happens then? You basically get mediocrity, I think, is what ends up happening. You uh, have students who could be performing to a higher degree who are not being pushed hard enough, and you have students who can't perform to the current degree who feel like they're failures. So you have one group of students who is bored, unchallenged, and ultimately wasting their time. And you have another group of students who, is, who are just like struggling to survive at this point. So that's, that can kind of be seen all the way through the spectrum. Anywhere you see, by spectrum I mean like from kindergarten all the way up to PhD programs. Because anywhere you have like a classroom setting... You're always going to have students who are better than others, and you're always going to have that tension of to get the to give the best students the highest quality of education. You um, basically need to sacrifice that students at the lower end of the spectrum. Like, for instance, in the past, we've mentioned the principle of diminishing returns and the Pareto principle. How, like, you know, 
20% of your people produce 80% of the results. So if we take that as gospel, which it may or may not be, and assume that it applies in all cases, then that group of your students who are at the high end of your normal distribution are the students who are going to be producing the most in society. And ideally, you want to produce, push your producers to produce as much as possible if they're going to be the ones doing the producing. So in terms of like for concern for societal benefits, you would be best off pushing a program ultimately that is geared for the, the absolute best student in the class and then forcing all the other students to try and compete with that. And you'd have a pretty high number of washouts, but you would end up with, at the end of the day, a couple, at least a handful of students who are hyper proficient and top of their class. So that's one option. The other option is that you go the other way where you try and bring the worst student in the class up to at least average. But in that case, you have the end opposite problem where your top performing students are completely unchallenged. And um, they basically don't amount to nearly as much as they could. So what can we do to fix this? this problem with the problem being that anytime you have a classroom setting where you have a group of students, you're going to have a distribution of abilities and the learning environment is going to be tailored to a specific set of those students. So some students will not benefit enough from it and other students won't be able to benefit from it because they aren't up to that level. Well, the answer, I think the only answer to this, this problem is actually personal responsibility. So instead of having a classroom environment, you push the educational responsibility on the individual students so that they're in charge of their own learning. That way they're the ones calling the shots and they're the ones who are doing the work to achieve the standards that they need to. So that would be one possible way to address the educational problem. And like the reason why we're even talking about this in the first place is because like the U.S. has kind of fallen off of the top when it comes to like global educational performance. I just Googled test scores by nations. And we click images and we're getting a little fancy graph. So um, we got 2015 PISA average scores. I don't know what those are, but what I do know or what I can see from the graph is that the U.S. doesn't even appear to be on the chart for math. Oh, wait, there it is. So for 2015 PISA scores, we have Singapore at the top for math with a 564 and the U.S. down towards the bottom of the list, kind of towards a little below average, under average, below average at 470. For reading, we have Singapore at 536. U.S. is down at 597, which is a little bit above average. And then for science, we have Singapore is really kicking butt. Holy crud. 
Singapore top at 556. United States down a little ways at 496. So you get the idea here. The reason why we're even having this conversation, the reason why this is even a topic in this podcast is basically because of the fact that the U.S. is kind of the middle of the pack with all of these things. And as I kind of mentioned when we talked about the five frontiers, whoever's leading the educational charge is going to be the country that's producing the people who are best equipped to take space and stake claims in the new realms of technology for their home countries, which will decide who has the upper hand when it comes to the world order years from now when these technologies kind of settle into being a thing. So anyway, as you, the listener, can probably tell, I'm no expert in education either. So anything that I'm saying here is a decent chance that some of it could certainly be wrong. And there's also a decent chance, though, that some of the stuff I've said makes sense, which should illustrate the fact that doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out some of the problems that our education system is facing and to decide basically that we need to find some way to address them. So the first problem we kind of talked about here was the fact that in classrooms, you end up with a distribution of students and you can only teach to a certain difficulty level. And if you set the difficulty too high, you're going to make a bunch of students feel like they're incompetent. And students who feel incompetent usually give up because they feel discouraged and they don't want to stick it out in something that they feel like they're not good at. So the solution to the problem or what I was proposing, what I would propose is basically like a personalized education plan, which is self-led by the students themselves. But I guess in theory, you could potentially have like teacher develop a personalized education plan like once you start talking about teachers developing it you're kind of getting into like dystopian teen adults fiction novels kind of i could just picture a situation in which as soon as a kid gains sentience which arguably happens sometime around fifth grade i think maybe fourth grade for some of the smarter ones it's hard to say Whenever a kid finally gains awareness of the outer world and starts shaping their sense of self and deciding what they want to do, a child would basically sit down with a counselor and the counselor would go through the child and then set up the child education program, which the child would then follow to graduation or something like that. And doing this process, the kid could avoid learning stuff that's going to be useless to their education plan, but the child could also... Like, you know, focus on their strengths, essentially, and have a program that would push them to their absolute limits as opposed to being stuck advancing on a class-per-class basis. Now, of course, there's nothing stopping the average individual right now from making their own program and setting the pace of their own education, but doing that takes a lot of self-starter slash personal drive and... uh being part of your personality and that's kind of rare because that's kind of the reoccurring theme in life is the solution to most of your problems is pretty simple it's just a matter of doing it and it's in the uh 
in the actual completion of the simple tasks that we most often fail. So for instance, cleaning up your house is easy. Just put the stuff in the right places. Yet a lot of people have dirty houses. Weight loss is fairly easy. Burn more calories than you eat. But yet we have an obesity epidemic in the country. Uh, Getting stronger is pretty easy. Just uh, repeatedly lift uh, more and more weights progressively. Yet most people don't do weight training. Running further is easy. Uh, just run further each day. Yet most people don't run at all. Uh, list goes on and on. Like in a lot of cases, the solution to your problems, solution to very, a very large number of problems, is pretty simple. It's just a matter of execution. But people can't manage to do the execution part. And I'm just as guilty of this as anyone else. Like I'm not preaching on a high horse here, but that's kind of my point is that with self-guided education, your problem is essentially that you need to have the ability to guide yourself. So you need to have self-control. And usually self-control isn't overly abundant in the youth of today. There's not too many kids who would be capable of having the level of maturity required to self-guide their own educational path. But anyway, it looks like we're out of time for this episode. So I guess until next time, thank you for listening to another episode of the Stop to Think podcast. This was Chandler, and I hope you have a great day.